The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. All right, our scripture today comes from Luke chapter 3, verses 10 through 20. You can find it in the Bibles underneath your chairs on page 858. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His widowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod, the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, and he locked up John in prison. This has been God's word. So when the President of the United States travels, it's a really big deal. I don't know if you guys ever watched like a special on the Discovery Channel about all that goes into the president traveling. I did one time just about, they're talking about Air Force One and just all that goes into the president flying somewhere, which he does right all the time. Uh, From little things like where, if you ever thought about this, like where does Air Force One get its food from? Well, they can't announce, they can't tell the suppliers like they're providing food for the president because then they would be a target for you know, assassination attempts. So they have secret buyers that go out to regular grocery stores in random areas around D.C. to buy the food for the plane. They bring the limousine, they fly the limousine ahead of him so it's ready whenever he gets on the ground. When the president flies into New York City, it's about a 45-minute flight, if you're flying Air Force One, from D.C. to uh, to New York City, in, in, any city, any area he flies into, there's a 30-minute window before he gets there that they shut down airspace. So picture this. He leaves D.C., 45-minute flight, so 15 minutes in the air. They shut down the airspace over and around New York City as far as the edge of Long Island. This is the busiest, richest most populous city in the United States of America. It is the richest, perhaps, city, perhaps most important city in the entire world. And when one man decides he's going to go to visit New York City, it could be to get a bagel or it could be to have some sort of important meeting. Whenever he decides he's going to go to New York City, they shut down airspace for a half hour before he gets there. And then it shut down the airspace until he gets in his car and they pull away from the airport. And whenever that happens, there are crews of thousands of people, literally, this is not exaggeration, crews of thousands of people who have worked for days and weeks in preparation for his trip to prepare the routes 
which has not been announced beforehand, the, to prepare the routes that will take him from the airport to wherever he is going. There are multiple routes cleared, so nobody knows which one he's going to take. And on this route, this is interesting, it's not just like the police and, you know, the military that are all involved, Secret Service, but in whenever he flies in New York, the sanitation department is also involved because they have to clear all the trash cans from the routes between the airport and wherever he is going. No trash cans on the side of the road. The post office police, which there is such a thing, believe it or not, the post office police get involved because they have to come and clear out any mailboxes. Those things still exist. They have to clear out any mailboxes between the airport and wherever he is going. You guys know there's snipers. They they barricade any particular uh, road that he is on and any cross street that is coming in. So he can he can shut down basically when he flies into New York. He can basically shut down Manhattan for his drive to wherever he's going. And then in the perimeter, the area where where he's in, nobody once he is in the area, nobody is allowed in or out of the area or in or out of any of the buildings. I saw a clip of this restaurant uh, near where the president was a couple of years ago, and they didn't know he was coming. They're in the restaurant eating lunch. He comes through, and they're stuck in the restaurant. Everybody who's in there, all the patrons, it doesn't matter if you're late for work, you're stuck in the restaurant until he decides to leave, and then you're finally clear to go. When the president travels, it's a really big deal because the way has to be prepared for him to go. And that's not really anything new. That's the way it has always been. Whenever a king would travel to an area, uh, the cities and towns uh, all along the area would have weeks and months to prepare for the king's visit. In fact, not only that, the, the city, the town, the village would fix itself up so it would look its best for the king coming through. They would secure the area so it was secure for his, uh, his passage, even if he was just passing through the town. But not only that, is they would go, his servants would go ahead of him down the road between where he was and where he needed to go. And if the road was too rough, if it was too curvy, if it went too, too if the height, the, the climb was too steep, or they would come through and they would actually rebuild the road so the road would be smooth for his travel. If there were a lot of potholes, they would fill them in. They would recut the road through mountains and over, over rivers so that he would have a clean passage just because he was passing through the area. His way had to be prepared. It could take months. It could take years. So therefore, it made sense when the prophet Isaiah prophesied to the people of Israel who were waiting and hoping for a king to come and deliver them from their oppression, a king to come and deliver them because they'd been under foreign rule for generations and generations. And so they were waiting for a king to come and make things right. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, right? Don't we, that's not really a new, uh, it's just an old thing. Like, don't we know, I mean, we're staring down the barrel at an election and whether you're excited or not about the choices that we have, we have an election that we're staring down the barrel of and we have a lot of crazy things going on in our world, right? I mean, we just have some more examples this week, things that will break your heart, things that will confuse you. I've had discussions with really good-thinking people this week who are just trying to figure out what do we do with the shootings that are going on? What, 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 where do we stand on that? There's a football player not standing for the national anthem. What do we do with that? Where do, where do, we, where do we come down on that? How do we think through this? There's a lot of 
chaos and struggles going on in our world. And don't we long for a king or somebody, somebody to come and make things right? And they were waiting on that. And so it made sense to them when Isaiah prophesied in chapter 40. You don't have to turn there, if you, but you can if you like. He said, Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5, it says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He was prophesying that somebody would come that would declare, prepare the way for the Lord. The king is coming. He's coming back again. Prepare the way. He's coming through. We need to cut a new road, make sure everything's clear, just like you would for the king that's coming through or the president who's coming into town. The people were waiting for that king. They were waiting for the Messiah, and they knew that somebody would come and have to prepare the way he would come to the wilderness, this wilderness that we live in, right? Sometimes this world can be great. There are moments when it's just really nice. Brandon and Candace Streff have like 50 chickens, literally. And there is nothing, there are few things better in the world than a fresh egg. Anybody ever had a fresh, like a real, like not like farm fresh eggs that you buy in the grocery store, but a real, like fresh, like just came out of the chicken egg? <laughs> there is nothing like it. If you've only had like just store-bought eggs, it's like having tang all of your life and somebody telling you it's orange juice. And then you finally taste real orange juice one day. You may not like it, but they've had the real thing. There's a few things better than a fresh egg. Yesterday morning, I got to get up, and he had given me some eggs on Thursday night, and I hadn't had fresh eggs for a long time. And I got the skillet hot, made some piping hot coffee, popped those eggs down there on the, cooked them up good and put them on my plate. Had a little bit, because I'm, I'm gross like this. I like, it, I like to have it runny so I can have my, my fresh toast so I can dip it in there. Sop it up, as I would say where I come from. Man, that is good stuff. That was a good moment yesterday morning with fresh, hot eggs and piping hot coffee, two of my favorite things. There are moments when life is grand and beautiful. But then those are really kind of oasises in life, aren't they? The rest of life is tough. It's hard. It's full of suffering and pain. My wife at this moment, to her great frustration, is home in bed because she was playing with the kids, not doing anything crazy, just playing with the kids on Friday morning, and she pulled her back out. And she hasn't been able to get out of bed without help since Friday morning. Life is rough and difficult, and it can be full of pain and frustration. And we long for somebody to come to our wilderness, the desert that we live in, and make things right. And that's what John the Baptist's job was to come and declare. The king is coming to our wilderness. Prepare the way. It says that the word of the Lord appeared to John, or came to John, 
and that John went out to the wilderness and started to declare a message. The people were waiting on this, but what we're going to see this morning is that it wasn't quite what they expected it to be. It didn't roll out quite like they hoped or expected it to happen. There's three questions we're going to ask about Luke chapter 3 this morning. We're going to ask three questions. Number one, what was John's message? Number two, we're going to ask what kind of message was it? And number three, we're going to say where, ask the question, where does that leave us? What was John's message? What kind of message was it? And where does that leave us? First of all, what was John's message? He appears in the wilderness. He's the one who is crying in the wilderness that Isaiah had been prophesying. And he's saying, prepare the way. The king, the Lord, is coming. Prepare the way. Get ready for his arrival. Which is the first part of his message. We see his message is really two parts. One is the king is coming. And secondly, there's a problem. The king is coming. First of all, the king is coming. If the king is coming, then it requires there be an adjustment. When the king arrives on the scene, it means that, first of all, that he's the king and you're not. When you appear before the president, I've shared the story before, I've heard stories about people who work the receiving lines for the presidents, and it's not just it's not just one president, it's all of them. People who work the receiving lines for the president. And many powerful, rich, important people get to appear before the president. And you don't think it's a big deal until you're waiting in the line in the White House, then you finally get to step up and there's the president with the, his guards around him and he's standing there and you're looking at him face to face and then your mouth goes dry and the water that was in your mouth starts coming out other places and you get all nervous and all the things that you had expected to say, it doesn't quite come out right. A good friend of mine, Justin Kramer, he, he likes this uh, Christian rapper named Shy Lin. And Justin, if you know Justin, I, I haven't sh- cleared this story with him before, but I'm going to share it right now. Anyway, Justin likes to imagine himself to be kind of a cool cat under pressure, you know? You guys have met Justin, you kind of know how he, how he is. It was really cool to see, though, one time we were in the room and uh, we noticed, like, hey, right over there is Shylin. It was a small room. It wasn't a big, it wasn't a big deal. It's Shylin. He's, he's right over there. He's just a regular guy standing with the rest of us in the room with maybe 20, 30, maybe, maybe 30 of us in the room. Justin, the cool cat under pressure, all of a sudden, like, he's all shy. He's hiding behind people. He's, he's like a little girl. He's like, look, He's over there. That's Shylin, man. He's over there. Other people walking to Shylin talking. He's like all quiet over to the side. He, he finally is coaxed and he goes over there and he's like, hi. You know, he's, he doesn't really say the stuff that he had planned to say. You, you and I, we've all been in situations like that. When you stand in the presence of greatness, I don't know if Shylin counts as greatness, but if you stand in the, the presence of somebody who is great and powerful, all of a sudden, that, whatever you imagine yourself as cool under pressure as you imagine yourself to be, all of a sudden you lose kind of the coolness. When the king has come, it requires a readjustment. You stand in the presence of the king and you realize that's not who I am. All that I thought I was, all the greatness that I thought I had, all the coolness that I thought I possessed, it kind of drains out when you stand in the presence of the king. It requires a readjustment to understand that he is the king and I'm not. 
the presence of the king, whenever he comes, or the herald who's pronouncing it before he's coming, the reason he's coming and announcing that the king is coming through, which is what a herald would do. He would come into the town. Here comes the king so you could be ready to be in the right posture when the king comes through town. What's the right posture? You better be waiting on the side of the road and you better be ready to bow whenever the king passes by. That's the proper respect that you owe to the king. And if anybody does not do that, what's gonna happen? It's not gonna go well with you. Why? Because he's the king. And you're not. The herald comes and announces the king is coming so you could be in the right posture because when the king comes, it requires adjustment and it requires alignment. You have to align yourself in the proper, do, proper show of respect to the king or all that power and glory that the king possesses will be set against you. Which leads us to the second part of John's message. He said the king is coming, but then he said there's a problem. Listen to his wording. It's a powerful, strong message. It says that verse three of chapter three, and he went into all the region, this is John, around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He said, there verse seven, to, to the, crowd, the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. That's a pretty strong language. How would, would you guys like if I got up here and like that was my opening line? Good morning, you brood of vipers. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for, for Abraham. Every, even now the ax is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to him to be baptized. The tax collectors were known to take a, not take a little bit off the top. They took a lot off the top before they passed it on to Rome. They put it on the, they put a heavy burden around the people. And they said, teacher, what shall we do? In verse 13, and he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also came to him because a soldier, they were kind of, they could demand whatever they wanted to demand of the people and there was no impunity on them. And they said, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations and be content with your wages. What he's saying is that this whole, this great problem that we have, that there is a problem. He's saying there's a problem between you and God. There's a problem between you and the king. There's an enmity or an animosity that naturally exists between you and the king. And the reason is, for simple, let's just be honest here, we all wish we were the king. We all wish we were the boss. We all wish we got to call the shots for our own life. And frankly, for the lives of those around us. I not only have a good and perfect plan for my life, I have a good and seemingly that I think perfect plan for the people around me. And I do my best to try to demand people do what I want them to do and serve me in the way that I want them to serve me and treat me the way I want to be treated because I want to be king. I want to call the shots. And you, I may or may not know, I know some of you guys, some of you I don't know really well, you're in the same boat as I am. 
we want to be king and we try to be king and that creates an animosity and enmity between us and the true king. And here's the deal. If you imagine the herald coming through the town, pronouncing the king is coming as John the Baptist did and the king came through and you're the one saying, no, I'm king here, you're not king. There exists an enmity and an animosity between you and the true king, but where does the problem lie? The problem does not lie with the king. The problem lies with you. Because you're a fake imaginary king in your or queen in your own mind, and the king is the true king who possesses all the glory and power that comes from being the king. And it's a problem with you and not a problem with him. And whenever that happens, whenever we find ourselves in that situation, we find ourselves, it starts to make a little more sense when we hear him say, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come. Because when the king comes and there are those that are trying to usurp the king, there is a just wrath the king has upon those who are trying to turn his rule over. There is wrath. When the king comes, there's going to be a wrath that comes because there's an enmity and an animosity that stands between you and him. And therefore, in verse 3 and 8, he's talking about repentance. He went about in all the region around Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. In verse 8, he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. What he's saying is that your pedigree or your affiliation is not enough to save you. These Jews, and this is what the part of the message that you may not get here whenever he comes proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. A baptism is where, uh, and this is interesting, at the time, a baptism was the way that you would uh, enter the Jewish faith if you were not born a Jew. If you were, became convinced as a non-Jew that the God of the Jews was the true God and you wanted to worship him, then you had to be baptized as a rite of entrance into the Jewish faith. It was a way of saying, hey, I'm cleansing myself of my former sin, of my former life, and I'm declaring myself of allegiance to Judaism or allegiance to the true God. I'm confessing my sin and I'm being baptized. But usually the way that baptism would go is there would be, a, there'd be sort of a, a big tub that would steps down and steps up, and you would walk down into the tub yourself and it would go over your head, you would walk down and then come up yourself on the other side. You were baptized, you were walking through the water symbolically into your new faith. Now, this would have been an incredible insult to the Jews and they heard John saying you have to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins because he's saying that your pedigree, the fact that you are born a Jew is not good enough because you still want to be your own king and therefore there's an enmity and animosity that exists between you and God. 
And only saying that, so he's saying like, because the Jews considered Gentiles, those outside the faith as sort of equivalent of dogs, really. They were dirty, they were rotten, they were scoundrels, they were, they called them dogs. And so for him to say, that is the position that you are in was a great insult to them. And then not only that, he didn't say that you have to baptize yourself. He's saying you need to come and be baptized. It's something that you need to have done to you that you cannot do yourself. You are a passive recipient of this baptism. It was a brand new picture of what that looked like. He's saying your pedigree, your affiliation, the fact that you are born a Jew or the fact that you and I are church by background. Some of you grew up in church and you know the deal. You know the Bible better than I do. You can read, you might know Luke, you've got it memorized. You can, you can recite it backwards. You've got it down. You know the right thing. You know the right smile to put on. You know the right time. You know, let's just be honest. You know the right part of the song to raise your hand. That's the right time and the wrong time. Oh, this is the time where we raise a hand. Now we clap. You got it all down. It's not enough to save you. Your affiliation, your pedigree is not enough. Because you and I want to be our own king, our own queen. There is, exists an animosity and an enmity between us and God. And that problem is not on his side, it's on our side. So then he says, you must bear fruit in keeping repentance. There's a fruit, there's a result of this repentance. What is repentance? It means a change. Now this is, this is something big here. It means to turn away from something and to turn towards something. It means, in this case, to turn away from you being your own king and turn towards the true king and show him the due and right respect that he is owed. That's repentance. It means a change, to turn away from and to turn towards something. And he's saying that there should be a fruit, there should be evidence of this change in your life. Bear fruits in keeping repentance in verse 8. And he says in verse nine that if you do not bear that fruit, no matter what you say, no matter what you've done, no matter how you've said the right things and done the right things, if there's not the fruit that is in keeping with repentance, that still exists that enmity and that animosity between you and God. And that's when he goes down to say that should that fruit should play out in our everyday lives. Whenever the tax collectors and the soldiers ask him what should we do, he has very practical everyday answers to it. If somebody needs a coat, you don't withhold the coat, you give it to them. It should be full of integrity. You should be honest. You should have compassion. That was John's message. The king is coming, but there's a problem. Now, secondly, let's look at what kind of message was it? Well, obviously, it was a very tough message, right? It's pretty amazing that anybody came out to me. He, he wasn't in an urban center. He didn't have a cool band and smoke machines and laser lights. He didn't have a cool multimedia package and a great presence on social media. It was a dude who ate bugs 
and wore camel hair clothes out in the desert. And people came out to hear him. It was kind of amazing that even happened. And then whenever they got out there to hear him, it wasn't like a cool magic show. He had a very tough message to hear, right? They show up in the desert, and he calls them a brood of vipers right off the bat. And his message is, here's the message. There's a problem between you and the king who's coming, and you need to be forgiven, and you need to repent. And that was a crazy message because the Jews thought that the king coming would be a joyous occasion. They thought that it would be a joyous occasion because they thought that the king was coming to make much of them. Hey, we're Israel, and we have been conquered by foreign countries, and it's time for our king to come and make it right and let the world see just how awesome we are and how awesome God said we would be. He's going to come, and he's going to make it flow with milk and honey again. He's going to conquer our enemies. He's going to reign in justice and righteousness, and we're going to be powerful again. They thought he was coming to make much of them, but instead, the king was coming to make much of himself because that's what the king, that's his rightful place, and our rightful place is not to be made much of, but it's to make much of him. Here's the secret of your life. I don't know a lot, but I do know this. Your secret to, to, to true joy and happiness is not what we think it is. We buy into the fact that my joy and happiness would exist if I got what I wanted, if, the people, if I had the people around me that I wanted around me and they gave me the attention and the things that I want in return. Then I would be happy. I would be made much of. But the message of the king is he has come to make much of himself, not to make much of us. And your joy and happiness is locked up in finding joy and making much of him and not making much of yourself. And that's why they needed to repent and that's why you and I need to repent. That's why we need to change. That's why we need to change and turn away from us being king and queen and to turn towards him. Now, what John is preaching was a shock to the Jewish system, but it's not wasn't just a shock to the Jewish system, it was a shock to you and me as well. Because what he's saying is there's a problem between you and the king, and you need to repent and change, but that you can't even baptize yourself. It has to happen to you. It must be something done to you. You must be a passive recipient of it. Now, here's an interesting thing. That with all this message that John has, not a fun message, not gonna top out the top of the podcast chart today. He's not gonna draw a big crowd today. No laser lights. It's repent. There's a problem between you and King. Turn. This stands out to me. And whenever he's finished saying all these things, down in verse 18, it says, so with many other exhortations, so just like he was saying, he preached what? 
good news to the people. Now, I read that, and I thought, now that doesn't sound like it jives. It sounds like there must be some other message he was saying because what I just read was not great news. It seemed to be a lot of bad news. The king is coming. There's a problem between him and me. I must repent. I must change. But it says that it was good news. How can that be? This is how it was good news. Because it was news about salvation coming to the king. It was news about a life that was dependent upon mercy, the mercy of the king, not on works or pedigree. That's good news. Because if you tried to, if you build your life resume on your good works, you're always gonna come up short. You can never hit it out of the ballpark enough. And your pedigree, the fact that you come from a good family, grew up in church, is never good enough. It's news about a need for grace, a need for mercy, a needing to be cleansed, that we cannot cleanse ourselves, we need to be cleansed. That true repentance that he's describing, a sorrow for my rebellion against the king, my providing recompense to the people that I have wronged, my providing satisfaction to those that have wronged, my changing a direction and changing my heart away from me being king to him being king alone. That's what's needed. But here's the question, last question. Where does that leave us? I'm going to tell you a couple of things about myself. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm a natural procrastinator. These are just a few fun facts about Randy. I'm a natural procrastinator. Drives my wife crazy and most of the people around me. I'm a Clemson fan. I hate pot roast, hate it, hate it. Like, like I feel like that's gonna be the meal served in hell, hate it, kind of. <laughs> I also hate spaghetti, hate it, and detest lasagna. So just for the record, it's pot roast, Lasagna, spaghetti at the bottom of my list, but they're all down there. I love coffee. I love fried chicken. And I can't imagine anything better than a good cheeseburger. I'm afraid of heights. When I say heights, I mean like, I don't mean like Empire State Building heights. I mean like stepladder heights. I'm just being real with you guys. I don't like punk rock. And I don't like country unless it's sung by Johnny Cash. If Michael Jackson comes on, I'm probably going to check out of our conversation. 
And if I could dance, which is another thing I can confess to you guys, I cannot dance. If I could dance, those would be the few songs that I would actually want to dance to. And this is some honesty with you guys right here. I'm going to come real. You know, we all have our, hopefully, we all, hopefully you, we all have our secret indulgence music that we listen to in the car alone or in our headphones in a coffee shop when everybody thinks we're listening to cool, like, indie bands. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I've been known to purposely play Whitney Houston on repeat. Now, there's a number of things on that list that I'm proud of, I'm content with. There's a number of things on that list I would like to change. Honestly, I'd like to not like Whitney Houston so much. There have been times and years that I wish I didn't like Clemson. And when you guys have me over and you serve spaghetti, I wish I liked it. But here's the thing, I wish I could change those things, but I can't. It just is who I am. Because I can't change my will. I can change my mind, I can choose to act on my will, I can choose to not play Whitney Houston, but if I'm honest with you guys, I want to listen to Whitney Houston driving home. It just is what it is. And that's why this message of John is so tough because he's saying, change your will or else. But who can? You can't, I can't. You wanna be king and you can't change your will in that. It just is what it is. And that's why I find it interesting when Paul was writing to to, to somebody, he said, I pray, he was talking about somebody who was uh, going the wrong way, and he said, I pray that God would grant them repentance. Because you and I cannot change our will. We need someone to come and to change it for us. We need someone to come and change our want-tos and don't want-tos at the very basic heart level so that we can change. The message to repent, I can change some of my behavior for a while, but I cannot change my heart. I cannot change my will. It is what it is. John knew that regret and hopeful changes cannot change the heart. And even if we could do that, which we cannot, there would still be the problem that we would need to be forgiven by God. We need to be forgiven by the king. We need the king to mark our slate clean because even if you could change and you could be clean from today forward, you could operate in submission to the king the rest of your life. You still have all the record to this point that is on your permanent record with the king. We need someone to change us and we need to be forgiven. We need a cleaned conscience. We need a cleansed record. We need forgiveness plus change. 
So how could it say this was good news that John is preaching? Because of this. Look at those verses just before when it says that he preached good news in verse 18. Verse 16, John answered them all. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water. So they come, they realize they're sinful, they need to be cleansed, they came to him to be baptized. He said, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's the good news. That one was coming after John who would pour out his spirit upon those who repented, who desired to repent, that he gave that desire to, that he would grant them the ability to change their will at the heart level. And that he would provide the forgiveness that they needed on their behalf by taking the penalty that they needed, that they deserved upon himself instead of upon them. When is bad news good news? When you hear that the king came and though there was enmity and animosity between you and him, he himself took care of changing your heart. And he himself took the penalty that you deserved upon his own head so that you could be reconciled to the king. So that you could find a new spirit within you to repent and to turn and to change. And that's the good news. That's the good news. Father, this morning we gather as a people. Some of us have been walking with you for years. Some of us, days, weeks. Some of us have never bowed our knee to you for the first time at all. The common thing that we all have in common this morning is that we all, if we're honest, by nature, we truly want to be our own ruler. We want to be our own king, our own queen. We want to call the shots. And that has created an enmity and an animosity between us that cannot be quenched. And yet you have come through your son, through the king, to give us the ability by a miracle of grace to repent and to turn. Father, I pray if there are those this morning who do not know you, have that, never experienced that repentance, God, that would you grant them repentance this morning? They would confess that they have been their own king, their own queen, and grant them the ability to turn away from that and to turn towards you.
For those of us who confess you to be king, God, would you convict us this morning of how we've gone, continue to go our own way, but yet in Christ, in the coming, in the king who came for us and is coming again, we can find repentance and grace and forgiveness. We thank you that it's not based upon our merit, upon our pedigree or our works, but only upon your son. Help us to live lives of repentance. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.